0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Breanne Showman, and I am joined today by Faye Stenning and Jess O'Connell with GRIT Coaching. The three of us had a really good conversation around how they bring not only their backgrounds as athletes, but also their educational background into what they do as coaches when they are programming for their clients in order to one improve performance, but two, decrease their risk of injury. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Jess and Faye, thank you for joining me today. How are you guys? Good. Thanks. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. First and foremost, congrats on your recent accomplishments with your races this weekend. Super awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to dive in, we'll just kind of get into it. You guys have a, a great competitive background, but also a really good educational background, which allows you to do what you do with athletes. So just share a little bit about you and your background, who you are, what you do first, and then we'll take it from there.
1: Sure. So I'm Jess. I am a track and field athlete. I'm a Canadian Olympian in the 5,000 meters. So I ran in Rio and I'm training for the Tokyo Olympics. So... Big summer ahead. Um, I also have a, a master's degree in exercise physiology. So it's really helped uh, from an educational standpoint with our coaching and how we deal with athletes. Um, from a personal standpoint, I've had basically every injury you can imagine. And it's uh, really, really derailed a lot of my training, but I've able been able to perform quite well in spite of all of that. So I've, I've got a wealth of experience and, and education on how to deal with injuries and how to still reach goals while training unideally, un- I guess you could say. <laughs> Very cool. And Faye?
2: Awesome. So I'm, I'm Faye. I'm um, actually a professional obstacle course racer, um, which is which is I've been doing for a few years now, which has been really, really fun. Um, I have a background in just pure running. Um, I ran with Jess all through high school and a, a year in university as well, um, doing everything from uh, 1,500 meters to 5,000 meters. Um, and then I switched over to obstacle racing um, after, after I graduated. Um, I do have a kinesiology degree, and I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Um, so I, part of our coaching business, um, I look at, at the overall strength portion of that and then have work with Jessica when she does kind of that more injury prevention and, and running specific Um, stuff. So yeah, that's how we kind of work together. Awesome.
0: Jess, I want to dive into, not necessarily dive into your injuries itself, Mm -hmm. but how does dealing with those injuries help you with programming and coaching your athletes?
1: Well, I've learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. So the biggest takeaway that I've learned through my injuries is that training doesn't have to be perfect to still meet your goals. So if an injury arises, it's not necessarily the end. You can manage it and you can stay very, very fit through cross training and through rehab exercises and whatnot. You just take a different path to where you're trying to go. Um, I've also learned that a lot of injuries are caused by just, I mean, they're caused by overload. So doing too much too soon, whether that be intensity or whether that be volume. So in our coaching, we're really, really cognizant of, adding in new stimuli. So even something like speed work or, um, hills, um, transitioning into races, of course, like building mileage, things that you would always think about. We do that really slowly because that's when an injury, sorry, when an athlete's most at risk of injury. So making sure that any change in how they're training is gradual and progressive rather than just like throwing them out to the wolves. Awesome.
0: When you are, programming together. I know you run ideas off of each other. How do you, to make sure you aren't doing too much, putting them in an overtraining standpoint or a too much too soon standpoint, how do you go about programming the running side of things, but also the strength side of things?
2: Sure. So we assess all of our athletes, um, obviously before we, we onboard them. Um, so just kind of getting to know um, their history of what they've done in the past, their sporting background, but also like what a typical training week look, looks like. Um, we're asking all sorts of questions. What is their mileage? What is the pace? What have they done previously? Um, we try and get as much information we can as we can from their PTs and previous um, injury um, statuses and just trying to put together something that, you know, sometimes, and Jessica's really, really good to work with because, I can be a bit of an impatient person. I want to get them fast, quick, winning races. Um, so a lot of the times it's it's great to have two people working on one person's program because a lot of times I write the, the draft and then like Jessica comes in and it's like, you know, we probably could get away with this amount of volume, but let's play it extra safe and cut it down a little bit. We have lots of time. Um, and so, and we always encourage people to set up their race schedule so that we do have time to properly build them up. And they're not just like, all right, two weeks, and then we're doing a, a half marathon. So a lot of, it's a lot of sort of back and forth with having a proper um, schedule for the year that's realistic and that they don't feel that you know, need to, to do everything right now in this moment.
0: What are you guys doing? Um, Cause I know you do a lot different than just a standard coach who programs just strength exercises for the purpose of building strength. What are you doing with your programming for the purpose of one building strength, but also making sure they aren't going to, or trying to create a more resilient athlete. So they aren't at as risk of getting injured.
1: So a big part of what we've added in is pre run activation exercises. So All of my running friends are doing these activation exercises. I thought they were crazy for years because they weren't part of my program and they were just flopping around with a bunch of TheraBands before every run. I was like, what is going on? But I've now implemented them in my own training and I put them in every single athletes training as well because I think they're really, really valuable. So basically, when you're sitting all day at a desk job or watching TV or whatnot, your glutes can become a little bit deactivated, meaning they're hard to recruit when you're running or walking or whatever, um, for whatever reason, I think it's a bit of nerve compression. I'm not sure you would probably know better than me, but basically they're not functioning as optimally as they could be. And that's a huge problem because your glutes are so, so powerful. And if they're not functioning properly, then all of the force from running is transferred into hamstrings and calves and tendons and muscles and bones and stuff where it's not supposed to be. So a really quick, Activation routine, which can be as simple as a couple hip bridges, a quick core exercise, and some leg extensions. It can take under five minutes, um, is huge, huge, huge as a neuromuscular warm up to get your body primed for moving more efficiently. So that's something we really, really try and put into our athletes' programs. We also put a lot of foam rolling and trigger point work after workouts because we find that if it's not written down, it doesn't happen. And so many of our athletes have told us this like, thank you, thank you so much for writing in. Foam roll five minutes (laughs) because then it actually happens. And I think that consistent body work, where you're every day just chipping away a little bit and trying to ward off like big muscle knots and whatnot, is is really important to creating a resilient athlete.
0: It's so true that I've talked to other coaches about this too. That that athletes will do what you write down, and so if you program that mobility stuff or you know active recovery or rest day, like they'll legitimately do it because you programmed it. So (laughs) So so fascinating.
1: It's pretty funny yeah. because people are always like, thank you so much for writing that down. And Faye and I, I can feel her thinking this. We're both like, oh shit, we didn't do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> we know. need to write our own stuff down. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And aside from, you know, all this activation stuff that Jessica's talking about, you know, I, I, you know, years ago, just like had no idea what was going on with it. And I've dealt with like a few injuries this year and it's been great to see that, that that's actually helped myself out. I kind of had the opinion, like I'm an elite athlete. So like I'm stronger than these people that we coach and I can get away with it. And I'm not sitting at a desk all day. Um, but, and the whole sitting thing is so important because I really found a direct correlation between when I'm traveling or when I'm doing a lot of computer work mm-hmm. and my, and my injury rate just skyrockets. Um, so now that we've been busier with coaching, I, I finding, because I'm spending more time sitting, it's even more important that I'm doing those activation exercises, because I'm not walking around every day doing all these other things. I'm forced to sit for longer periods of time. Um, but an, another note that I'd kind of like to bring up with this the strength and the injury prevention is I think that a lot of people are doing strength training, but they're not doing running specific strength training. So they're very strong, say pulling a deadlift or doing a squat. And they're like, well, I'm strong. I'm strong. What do you mean I'm not strong? It's like, then you put them on a single leg and you realize they have no hip stability. Um, like the the, for me, when I go to this, my s- single leg squat is very similar to my double leg squat because I've gotten really, really strong, running strong on a, on a stable leg. Um, whereas most people are the opposite. They're very strong on, standing on two legs and can push a lot of weight. You put them on one leg and they're flopping all over the place. So I think it's just... Really important that we're giving them strength exercises that are more similar to the running stride and the biomechanics of running, um, because that's just going to keep them more durable when they're actually in, in the running um, mechanics.:
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely and that's something that's left out a lot um, you know I deal with a lot of people who have been to other physical therapists and it didn't work for them, and they are come to see me and the, we get to talking as far as what they're doing, and it is a lot of table exercises or double leg things. And I'm on the same page as you like running as a single leg stance over and over again. If you can't support yourself on a single limb, then you're going to get yourself injured. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. When it comes to with OCR, obviously there's a lot of trail running that's involved. How do you train people for more trail specific versus road specific?
2: Um, so the trail is something, you know, I, in terms of um, the sort of how that changes the stride of the athlete and everything um, it's tricky because a lot of times with being a proficient trail running, you just need to run on trails cause it's really hard to, you know, and there's stuff that you can do in the gym um, some sort of, you know, ankle, whether you're standing on an uneven platform and, and training those small muscles in your ankle to kind of fire. So you're not rolling your ankles and a little bit of ankle stability and work like that. Um, but I, I really think it's just some mobility work uh, because your hips need to be a bit more flexible to be able to go in those side to side motions. You can't be quite as stiff. Um, so it's that, and it's also just having some good lateral strength. So, um, you know, and that, that's what you'll naturally get from doing single leg exercises is you'll be strengthening your glute med, your VMO, and all those little stabilizing muscles that you wouldn't um, be activating, especially in a machine press or something like that, which is even worse than a squat. <laughs> um, I don't remember the last time I did a leg press or anything like that, because it's just not very functional. And, and I'm sure there are, there are certain situations where, you know, maybe that is a good exercise just to strengthen an exercise. If someone's, you know, way, way further and they need a really, really regressed exercise. But when we're dealing with the athletes, we're trying to get them always, always sort of standing up and doing their exercises.
0: Absolutely. That makes sense. Do you deal more with people who are coming off of injury and need help to learn how to train better or are you dealing more with people who just want to get better as far as uh, performance goes
1: it's a bit of both um injuries happen like every year like some like more in runners become injured than don't so it's kind of a fact of the sport so most people that come to us are are currently training training enough to have performance goals um, but sometimes they'll have a nickel or something that we need to deal with. We have lots of sore knees, things like that. So we can address that through their program. And some become injured while we're training them because, again, things happen. Hmm. And we can adjust their training to incorporate more course cross-training or give them a bit of a rest. Or It's really case-to-case. But many are also healthy, and we try and keep them that way.
0: I understand it's a very case-to-case basis. If someone comes to you off the bat in, or they're coming to you injured – Want to get over their injury and then progress into being a better athlete. What does that look like as far as getting them onto a program that's going to be appropriate for their injury but also continue to build them up in the process?
2: Cross training. Yeah, <laughs> Jessica and I are thinking the same thing. Go ahead, Jess. Yeah. Jess is the expert at this, so I'll let her <laughs>
1: talk. We ask them what they can do and they can't do. So we don't like to keep them in pain. We believe that. that exercises or training that incites pain while they're injured is they're not good because then you're not healing and you're not really training either so you're sort of in this no man's land but often they're able to cross train um, pain-free and so we'll replace all or part of the running with with workouts on the bike or the elliptical or in the pool whatever suits them and their injury and what their history is and whatnot and We'll supplement their regular mileage with cross-training and we'll give them cross-training workouts, like full of intervals and whatnot. And you can get very, very fit for a running race while not even running, just doing alternative exercises and activities.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of times, Jess, I feel like we've been sort of having this trend with a lot of the athletes that we've been onboarding. We've had a whole bunch of new athletes and it's like, okay, they're close to a race so we want to take them out of like an aerobic base building phase because they're going to be racing and they're going to be racing fast. And we want to introduce some intensity, um, but they're not quite ready for intensity mm-hmm. and running because they haven't. They just got off an injury not too long ago. So to kind of find that happy medium where we're giving, we're getting their heart rate up. All we do is just put keep the running easy because that's not causing them any pain, mm-hmm. and then add a ton of intensity and just give them a lot, a lot of hard stuff on. On the bike or the rower or the elliptical, and um, I think like Jessica has been very successful in staying extremely fit. Um, I mean, she went to the 2016 Olympics, and I watched her water run her way to that to those games. So she really, you know, knows how to stay fit when it comes to cross training. And I think um, that just comes from being really, really mentally tough and having to understand that you know you may not be running and you may not be doing your repeat 800s and trying to hit this pace but you can do the same intensity just on a different cardio machine. And if you actually can, are just really, really tough and committed to getting the most out of those intervals, you can stay really, really fit. And there's no need to be kind of afraid of, of those lost intensity on the running.
0: Yeah. I, it's really funny. I, uh, last April, I ran a half marathon and it- kind of snuck up on me. So meaning I pretty much didn't train running at all for it. No, no. But just my background of like, I train CrossFit, I train hard, I do two a day workouts, three days a week. And so just because of that, and I think i maybe went on like one eight mile run, oh, like three months prior, I was able to run like, hit my goal time under my goal time on that half. And so mm-hmm. it's so true that we don't necessarily need to be Yes, we want to train running but it's not an absolute necessity if if we can't right. for some reason.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Aerobic um Jessica says this all the time but like work is work and you know there are times that I have to take a step back from um my training and I have to do something different because of an injury and I and try and just remember that like a work is work as long as you're working hard like your body will respond with some sort of fitness gain and it doesn't gain it doesn't need to always be exactly what you're doing it's not like you're going to forget how to run because you Mm -hmm. did your angles on the bike yeah Um, and especially when you have you know can still keep some easy miles in there um while you offset some intensity on the cross training
1: yeah i think there's a big emotional component to it like people don't want to cross train because it's not fun they're not doing what they want to do it's it's proof that they're actually truly injured But if you can shelve that and just just remember, I'm putting my work boots on and getting this done, then you can be very successful.
0: I like that statement that you said, because it's something I never really thought about as far as that cross-training is proof that that they're actually injured. Mm -hmm. I never really, it's it's not a thought I ever, a direction I ever had a thought of, but it makes a lot of sense on why people would not want to.
1: Yeah, I think people are a little bit avoidant because then it's like, okay, well, this is reality.
0: What's the conversation like with people that I know you get them. Cause I do they're injured, but they're adamant. They're racing in two weeks, even <laughs> though we all know that they shouldn't be racing in yeah. two weeks. Like what's that conversation go like for you?
1: Those people are really hard because yeah. I get it, but it's, um, it's very difficult to tell someone that maybe their goal is not the best goal for them <laughs> anymore. So we, in like the most extreme cases where we're like, oh my goodness, like, I don't know if this is in their best interest. We will say that because that's important and that's responsible as a coach. Um, it's, we're not always listened to, but at least saying, um, keep like the long-term in mind, like have a plan A, plan B. If you feel bad, like, do you have an exit strategy for this race? Is, is the outcome worth it? Because sometimes it is sometimes to them, they don't care. This is the biggest race in their lives and they need to get through it for themselves. And it doesn't matter what happens after. And we respect that as long as they're aware that there could be some negative consequences. If this is just a tangent race on the way to something much bigger, then we talk about that too and try and encourage them to think long-term. And is this really a good idea? Is this moving you forward? Yeah. I think that's, I think that's
0: a big thing as far as if it's one of the like you know, an a race for them, or, you know, obviously if it's like worlds or Olympics, yes, you're racing, but mm-hmm. yeah, if it's something that's just in that pathway to trying to convince them that this is not your goal race mm-hmm. necessarily, that, that they need to decrease as much risk of injury as much as they can going forward.
1: Yeah. And just staying cognizant of this was a good idea two months ago. Is this still a good idea? Like, just cause it's written down, doesn't mean that thing like things change. So just, Just remembering like your why. Faye really likes that statement. Why am I doing this? Does this give me meaning? Is this putting me forward or is this like a dangerous decision?
0: (laughs) Yeah. What do you guys do for training? Like a lot of people experience, if I can talk, a lot of people experience pain, especially knee pain running downhills. How do you guys train for that in order to minimize that as much as people can?
2: Um, what I like to do, like the downhill running is obviously, as you guys both know, it's like eccentric loading in the quads. So I think it's really important again, like I talked about training specifically for the sport. So I think it's really important to eccentrically strengthen the quads. Um, so we do a lot of tempo work, um, in terms of slow concentric or slow eccentric loading, and then usually a quick concentric, just because that translates better to power, which translates better to sports performance. But, um, yeah, we do a lot of, I do a lot of four count, five counts, sometimes six counts, eccentric lowering, say in a single leg squat um, to really, really strengthen, strengthen that quad eccentrically. So then when it's getting loaded eccentrically in a race, it has a higher chance of being able to be strong enough to protect the the knee joint. Um, I don't know, um, Brianna, if that's something that you do in the PT office um, that you find helps, but. Um, I went through personally, I went through a phase of, um, with my strength coach of a lot of eccentric work and I would go to these races and the next day everyone would be complaining about how trashed their quads were. And then their knees were sore. And I noticed that my knees weren't sore, but more importantly, my quads weren't even sore because my muscles were so, um, used to being under that stimulus So I didn't even have any delayed muscle soreness because it was just another day for me, um, which, which I really has been protecting my knees. So I'm like, I could harp on that all day, but that's really, really, really for me. That's what I've found has worked the best.
0: I love eccentric work for building up that strength and that control. I think it's a really good idea. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: On the other note, or the other direction running uphill, if someone doesn't have, well, I guess just to build power, what are some things you do? But besides that, if someone doesn't really have access to a lot of hills to be able to train, what do you do to work on um, simulating that or stimulating those that power when required?
2: You're asking yeah. the right girl, <laughs> yeah. So, I think. Um, but I think Jessica actually pays, plays obviously a really huge role in this because you can't get stronger if you don't know how to recruit. So first of all, before my strength portion, I um, tap into Jessica's activation exercises. So we kind of put the activation before the raw strength stuff to kind of wake up the glutes and get them firing. And then we go into the heavier, like nitty gritty, like let's actually get strong. And again, it's just, it's like looking at what do you need to to run up a hill And that is, we look at the kind of grades of the hills that they're going to be faced with. So there's, there's a huge difference between what's like called a runnable hill and like a hill that you're power hiking up. Um, so like we really try and determine what races they're doing and, and really how steep this hill is, but just doing some functional stuff. I love the sled for that, um, sled pushes I think are great, um, also just like walking lunges where you're actually walking forward more similar to pushing out of that hill just like pushing forward out of that lunge um step ups are great especially if it's a really really steep hill because you're having that high um knee flexion um or hip flexion sorry um but yeah um just kind of all those those single leg exercises that are great for running are also great for hill training Mm -hmm. um just Depending on what they need, if they need more endurance or if it's more, if they're more um, lacking strength, we'll kind of determine whether we're doing like three sets of twenty or whether we're doing five sets of five. Um, so for myself, for instance, I do a lot of running, so I don't do a lot of strength endurance work because I have good endurance in my legs. I do a lot of um, strength for strength, so I do a lot of heavier stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. some people are very very strong and they just actually need more muscular endurance, so we would play around with the rep range and give them more of an endurance um stimulus in the weight room.
1: A lot of hill proficiency is also just aerobic fitness. Because if you can't <laughs> like handle the hill then you're going to really struggle. So we also hit it from a running standpoint just working on speed and turnover and just like raw aerobic power.
2: Yeah, and I'm so glad that Jessica mentioned that because that is so true. Like I sometimes roll my eyes at some some people when they say like, "Oh yeah, I didn't do well on that hill. I'm just not strong enough for those hills. My legs were burning. I'm like, I'm pretty sure your aerobic system tapped out before your legs <laughs> tapped out. I really like, and so that is so, so, so true. So um, that is the most you know, important thing, whether you're running on flat or you're running on hill or running downhill. It's most of the time, unless you're at that like top, top, top level and you're splitting hairs, most of it is a function of your aerobic capacity.
1: Cause remember the fitter you are, the better you can buffer lactate. And why does your, why do your legs burn lactate? So yeah,
2: hundred percent.
0: That's a great point right there that I think a lot of people tend to forget about. Yes. <laughs> Faye, you and I talked on the phone about breaking down the running gait and really focusing on strengthening in that running range of running form range of motion. Um, what does that look like for you guys?
2: Um, honestly, like I'm saying the same, like, what, what does it look like in terms of the, in the weight room or, or biomechanics when we're assessing running form? Yeah, we don't, sorry, go ahead.
0: (laughs) I guess just to get, um, get an understanding of what strengthening in that range kind of means to you when we're talking about running form.
2: Um. I guess just sort of like I've said, like strengthening all the muscles that you, you want to recruit in a running stride. So the most important, and I I feel like I repeat myself all the time, but is the glutes. So we really want the glutes to do the majority of the work so that your little muscles that aren't really meant to do 70 miles a week, aren't taking over your glutes can handle 70 miles a week. I bet they can, but I don't think they, the muscles in your calves and your hamstrings are really meant to do that amount of work. So we really want to sort of almost shift the workload to, and that's like really through like activation exercises that just gives them and also just continuing to strengthen those muscles through the more of the raw strength exercises that I give them. Um, and then of course, you know, there's a, a lot of stability, which is almost most times more of a problem than the strength. Um, so we're, we're looking at that as well. Um, be, I'll be honest, like we don't, assess we we do online coaching so we don't see our athletes so the running form um you know is something that we we encourage if they're having issues that we think you know are more related to running for and we're having them go to an expert like yourself um just because we we're online we can't pretend to know what they look like running. Um so we just most of the times are just like go see your PT, give us ask them as many questions as you can come back with like a report card we if it's a three-page diary that's even better like we want to know all that information Mm -hmm. and then i think we're smart enough and and know enough to um be able to to help from there but in the initial assessment is is we always kind of defer to the professionals
1: Mm -hmm. and an overlooked thing in the way you're in that phase added into that she's forgetting is uh rotational power so a lot of power in the running stride also comes from the ability to rotate your T spine and your, your trunk and um, have really, really nice fluid arm movement. So we'll focus on like thoracic um, spine mobility and power through that range too, because that's, that's a huge, huge way to disperse and um, like running energy and, and um, oh God, probably, <laughs> and uh, just improve your running gait and run more efficiently. I need to do
2: more of that. I do too, <laughs> but it helps
1: a lot. The <laughs> spine
2: stuff, yeah. I need to, I need to do more of that. Yeah. Um, I, 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 when I say I need to do more, but I do do it about three times a week. Some spine <laughs> mobility, but and you would think that that was enough, but with the amount of volume that I do in my training, I, my tea, my thoracic spine is still just not, not in good shape. So and the
1: sitting and hunching just gets you when you're at a computer. Oh man, are ugh, you ever
2: stiff?
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, throw not only the glutes with a sitting, but that's a lot of what stiffens Mm -hmm. up that upper back too. And and in my opinion too, it's not just a sitting, but if you think about the majority of tasks we do on a daily basis is right in front of us, like whether it's paperwork or computer, laundry, dishes, like it's all right in front of us. And so we don't really get that rotation in that spine a lot. Mm -hmm. We don't get that extension a lot. And so if we don't work on it, we do get really stiff and tight.
1: Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's something I've started every morning. I just spend about five minutes working on it just because I've realized how beneficial or how much better I move when I do that.
1: Yeah. I know. You look at the best runners in the world and how fluid and effortless their upper bodies look. And that's not natural. I mean, it's natural <laughs> to them, but that's, that takes work. It doesn't just come. It's not just a talent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. That's so true. Awesome.
0: Kind of to start closing it out. Anything super important that you feel, um, or anything you feel is super important to share that we haven't covered yet.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I think always when you're making a training program, think of the end goal and make sure everything progresses to it. Add in new things gradually. Don't rush and know the consistency in training trumps everything else. So there, there's no hurry. Just just consistency every day gradually increasing, ramping up to your goal, and that's your best chance of success.
2: Yeah, and I just think that, you know, there's no black and white way to train and do things, so um, doing them in a way that, like, works with your lifestyle and also getting as many people, like, I think that that that's what Jessica and I, what's really valuable about having two coaches working on one person's program is, because we can kind of check each other and make mm-hmm. sure that we're not like being biased in our own ways. And mm-hmm. and she is in Canada. I'm in the U S she has a strength coach. I have a strength coach. Like we constantly are talking with ex- experts and learning more in, and more every day. And, um, I think that that's like really important. I think a lot of people don't have that approach. They just kind of do the same things over and over. And I personally don't like, I like switching things up and, I sometimes like to use myself as kind of like a guinea pig to try different things. Um, and that's kind of been the best way for me to sort of hands on learn about yeah, strength training and endurance training and injury stuff. And, um, so yeah, just kind of having a curious mind and questioning things I think is really important, whether that's an athlete questioning their coach or whether that's a coach questioning a (laughs) co-coach, I think it's important. Awesome.
0: I'm very much the guinea pig like you are. I'll test things out on myself all the time. Like, mm. oh, that worked. Okay, cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Sometimes Jessica will um, put some an exercise in the program of her athletes and I'll go to the gym because I've never done it before. And I'll go to the gym and just like look up the exercise she gave like our clients and just do it just to see how it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so important. So many coaches like give them people these exercises, but they've never actually done the exercise. Yeah. And so, and with PT too, I'm sure because Brianna, you do these exercises, you do your thoracic mobility that you actually understand which ones maybe work better in certain circumstances mm-hmm. in certain situations. And I, I think it's really important to have someone that's like on the playground doing those things with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And it's fun too. I'm sure I have a feeling you do the same thing. Like if I'm just trying to figure out how to like modify something or, or do something different. Like I'll just go play until I figure out, okay, this is getting the muscle activation that I want. Yes. This will be yeah. perfect to
2: incorporate. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Awesome. Well, if
0: someone has any questions for you, wants to find out more about you, how, what's your company and how,
2: where can they find you at? We're called grit coaching and you can find us at gritcoaching.net. We're also on Instagram. Yeah. So my Instagram is, um, face Dunning, underscore OCR. And Jess, what's yours? Mine is Jess M O'Connell. So yeah, we can be reached out any of those ways. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having us.
0: Yes. Thank you for your time. I'm, I was excited to get you on here. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that concludes this week's episode of highly functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group obstacle course racing athlete health and performance where you can both join your ocr tribe as well as find very helpful useful information on how to become a more dominant racer a more resilient racer and truly race at your peak performance and until next time let's go out and be highly functional